Praise the Lord. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. Temperatures are a little chillier, but that's fair enough. Amen. <laughs> Let's all stand. <clears throat> Things are looking up on the health front, but there is still a lot to pray for. Amen. A lot of people still desperately need our prayers, need ministering to. Let's remember all of these. Let's remember our service this evening. Uh, We just had an update on our media computer, and uh, it shows. (laughs) There will be no visuals tonight, but uh, I'm sure that live stream is still working. So that's the main thing. Amen. Let's pray. This is God's service. uh, And whatever we have, we're going to give to Him. And He is going to do something awesome. Not because any one of us are here, but because the Lord Jesus Christ is here. And where He is, there is liberty. Where He is, everything is possible. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We are so thankful for this opportunity You have afforded us tonight to enter into the very throne room of Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so excited about what you have in store for us tonight. We are expecting awesome things of an awesome God tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. I expect, Lord Jesus, that you will minister according to our desperate needs and according to your perfect will. As we offer the sacrifice of praise to you, as we minister unto you and wait upon the Lord our God tonight, minister to our needs, I pray. Speak to us. Give us the word of God. Hallelujah, Jesus, and we pray that your great and mighty name will be glorified in our midst here tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are awesome. You are wondrous, and you are altogether glorious in this and in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify the Most High. We worship and we praise our Creator, our Redeemer this evening. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are ever and altogether worthy of all worship, of all praise, of all glory, of all honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Just really quick, uh, it was brought to my attention that uh, the maintenance door downstairs is being left open and it needs to be shut that is for uh, fire code purposes Uh, if there's a fire down there it'll help contain am I misunderstanding oh okay okay Uh, second thing is that there is going to be our annual business meeting that will be on February 12th here at the church at 9 a.m. Amen. So please, if you are a voting member, uh, you should know by now if you are or not. If you're in doubt, you're probably not, but uh, come talk to me if you're not sure. But in any case, uh, if you are a voting member, please, you are invited to come. In fact, I would highly encourage you to come. Uh, We want you present there for that meeting. 
Amen. Our message tonight, kind of sad we don't have our display because I was going to make a joke, and now that's ruined, on the, uh, the cleverness of my title. My title is Matthew chapter 10, because we're talking about Matthew chapter 10 tonight. Later on, keep thinking about it. You guys will get it. <laughs> it's Wednesday, right? Amen. So, in any case, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10 tonight. There is a lot in here. Uh, I was going to use one scripture from here, but then that other one looked really good, and then a few others looked really good, so then I was just kind of thought, well, let's just do the whole chapter. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, first, a pleasant reminder that the church is a spiritual organism. And as such, we conduct our business spiritually, not naturally, not carnally. And so we need to continue to understand and uh, perhaps be reminded tonight that as a spiritual organism, we conduct our business in the spirit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, all of that, against spirits. We are spiritual beings. When we were born again, we were born again spiritually, not naturally, as Nicodemus tried to assert to Jesus. We are not born again naturally. We do not enter again into our mother's womb and come back out. That's ridiculous. It's a spiritual birth. We are born spiritually dead. When we are born again, we are spiritually resurrected in newness of life, the Bible says. So, we are spiritual creatures now, and we conduct business in the Spirit. We are part of a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. There is a spiritual currency that's used in the kingdom of God. If I can continue the analogy... Faith will be the spiritual currency in this kingdom. Now, having said that, we'll get into our study proper. Matthew 10 starts off where he calls the 12 disciples and commissions them to go out and evangelize. Now, before this, in chapter 9, toward the end of chapter 9, we read this. I'll start with verse 32 of Matthew chapter 9. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Now I want to touch on that for just a moment. It was never so seen in Israel. Jesus, when he came, completely upset the natural order. Uh... The Old Testament was established. Uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees knew it. It was taught to everybody. Uh, but it was a very legalistic, ritualistic kind of religion. Uh, even more so. So much, I mean, it, it, was, it was to begin with compared to what we have today. It had to be. There was, they were spiritually dead. So it had to be an external legalistic form of law. The Old Testament law. And so... Even from its outset, it was 
certainly compared to what we have today. It was external. It was legalistic. But the Pharisees, they made it many times more so. So much so that Jesus had to comment on it. You left out the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. And you focused on the the, the legalism. The cup and the platter. That was never God's intention. It was always God's intention to demonstrate mercy, compassion, love, salvation, forgiveness through the Old Testament law. But they had turned it into something that it was never meant to be. So when Jesus came and started preaching and teaching all these weird things, to be first, you've got to be last. If you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. Uh, you know, all of these weird, topsy-turvy, upside-down teachings and sayings. And he hung out with publicans and sinners. And, and he ministered on the Sabbath day. I mean, just he was a very frustrating individual to a lot of people. So all of this stuff was brand new. Now we get this. The devils were cast out. We've not seen this before. And I bring this up to say this. There is, in our churches, in our, if you'll allow me the use of the word denomination, the UPCI, uh, Pentecostalism, apostolic, the apostolic movement, whatever you want to call it, there has crept into our, uh, our services, our churches, our, our mindsets, this idea of, of traditionalism, maybe a bit of legalism. And I feel like that's going to be overturned before he comes again. Now, I don't know what form that's going to take, I don't have any particular ideas in mind, but here's what I do know. We do things in our services that are extra scriptural. Now, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm certainly not saying they're sinful. But we just can't find anything in the book concerning it. The way we preach our messages is... Not always exactly scriptural. Not necessarily bad. But maybe there's a better way. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to get any new revelations. I'm not going to get any new doctrines or anything like that, okay? There are no new revelations doctrinally. Just old errors. My point is that the way the first century church conducted business is not necessarily the way we conduct business today. That's my point. And I believe that we are missing some things that the first century church had. I can't always exactly put my finger on it, but I feel like something foundational is missing. I felt that for a long time. I hope that's really not the case, but I think it is. And I pray that God 
brings those things back to us. How the first century church acted and conducted themselves. How they prayed and fasted. How they witnessed. How they prayed for people and they received healing. The level of faith that was prevalent in the first century church. I don't think I could say honestly in the Holy Ghost that we have that. I can't I know I can't say that about me. Let me start there. I can't say that I have that. I want it. I want it so desperately. So I feel like God is going to upset some things. He's going to, he's going to overturn some money changer carts if I can say it that way. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Jesus doing something that only He has the authority to do. I'm looking for Jesus to do something to restore whatever it is that was lost so that we again resemble the apostolic church. We are going to see things that we haven't seen before. We're going to experience things that we haven't experienced before. And that's going to be an awesome thing. The chapter goes on. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is something I still have a problem with and I haven't been able to sort it out yet. I see so many times in Scripture where Jesus healed every sickness, every disease. We're going to read later in chapter 10 how they had the power to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. I've heard it said that Well, that's up to God, whether He's going to heal someone or not. And at first blush, I totally agree with that. I certainly don't have the authority or power to heal anyone. That's not my choice to make. So, yeah, in some sense, I agree. That is up to God. My question is the interpretation of the covenant promises He's given us. Do they apply in every case? Or do they just apply sometime? And these are honest questions, folks. I'm not trying to be uh, silly or, or stupid, okay? I'm, I'm honestly struggling with this, this question. I have for a very long time. I've prayed for people, and they haven't been healed. You have too. I've prayed for others, and they have been healed. Of course, we all know that's not me, and it's not you. It's God that does the healing. We get that. But what about the other times? Is it, should I be praying, Lord, if, if it's your will? I'm not, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just to say, as I see it right now, either we have authority or we don't. 
We have authority over these things or we don't. God has reserved that authority to himself. And I am fine either way. I really am. It's God's authority. He can do with it as he, as he sees fit. If he wants to, to reserve that to himself, I am absolutely fine with that. I will pray, Lord, if it's your will, I will seek him for healing. But if he's given us authority, you see what I'm saying? It's one or the other. And I find, our, I, I find us in some weird, nebulous middle ground here. I pray that gets sorted out in my life. <laughs> Amen. It continues. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. As sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And now we get to chapter 10, where he details for us in very specific terms, I believe, how he wants that accomplished. And I've spoken on some parts of this in, in previous messages. I'm not going to try to rehash too much on those things, but at the beginning of the chapter, he calls the 12 disciples and it says he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. The twelve are listed. These twelve, Jesus, going on to verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, he commanded them. He didn't ask them. He didn't suggest to them. He commanded them. And let me say that when God gives us a command... He gives us the ability to fulfill that command. He's not going to command you to do something you simply can't do. He does, he does not and He will not set you up for failure. That was never God's intention. He calls you to succeed. He commands you to do something that you are going to succeed at. If you will put it in His hands, if you'll follow after Him, depend on Him. So we read here in, in verse 5 that he commanded them, saying this, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's giving them some direction, specifically who you are to speak with. He continues, And as ye go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so they're being commanded to preach and to tell people, The kingdom of heaven is here. He continues, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. See, it's verses like this that really confuse me sometimes. It seems to me that God is commanding the twelve disciples to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He's commanding them to do this as part of the entire process of preaching the gospel. 
are we to do the same? I honestly had not intended to make such a big deal about this. I was going to mention it and move on, but I can't. If we're supposed to be doing this, church, then we ought to be doing it. If we're not, again, if it's in God's hands and His alone, then I'll leave it there. But this nebulous middle ground really frustrates me. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the prayer seems to be answered, sometimes it's not answered, or answered in a negative sense. And again, please understand, I'm fine with God doing whatever he wants to do. I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't fret about this at all if I didn't see all of these promises in the Word of God. If they weren't in there in the first place, I wouldn't worry about it. I'd just ask him, and if he says yes, fantastic. And if not, to die is gain. I I really wouldn't care. But these promises are in there. And they keep popping up. And when I apply them, they don't always work. I'm going to be transparent here. That frustrates me. It worked for the first century church. I read about secular historians that have commented on the the normalcy of miracles in the first century church. Atheistic, secular historians who have written in their works. Edward Gibbons is, is the one I'm thinking of. Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. It is a huge work. Get the abridged version. You'll get everything you need. But in there, he comments, there's a whole chapter on the the first century church. How regular miracles were, healing, and not just, you know, the little miracles that we talk about, but I'm talking about the quote-unquote big miracles, people being raised from the dead all the time, people being healed, legs growing back, you know, all all of this crazy stuff. You know, the stuff that happens overseas, the stuff that the missionaries come and tell us about. That stuff. That's what we want to see. Why does it get to happen over there and not here? There are all kinds of reasons for it. I've thought of some, probably. But at the end of the day, it needs to happen here. In our lives. I'm tired of... And here's... Angry preacher again. Goodness. (laughs) I'm tired of hearing about the revivals of the past. I'm tired of hearing about Azusa Street. I love Azusa Street. I love reading about Azusa Street. But I'm sick and tired of hearing about it and not seeing it. Why can't we see it today? I believe that. we We serve the same God they did. His arm isn't any shorter today than it was then. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. The same God that the first century church served. They had the same Holy Ghost you and I have. What's different then? 
Something's different. I don't know what it is. But it's got to, it's got to be it's got to be removed or if we're missing something it's got to be added but we've got to get back to this. We've got to get back to the first century church. We've got to be apostolic. That's the only thing that's going to save this world. We've got to do it his way. All right. Uh, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. Uh, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Okay, what's he saying here? <laughs> I'll tell you what he's not saying. Save up for your retirement because it's coming. You got to be careful. Don't give away too much. You got to save some for yourself. <clears throat> He's saying, don't ever, ever worry about that stuff. Do my business. Take care of my business. Do the work that I called you to do. I will provide for you, I will take care of you. in the United States today and in our churches today we have got it in our minds that we need to worry about that now don't misunderstand me if God has blessed you and you have you have to spare I think it's okay to put some in savings I think it's okay to, to save for retirement Okay, I'm not saying don't do that but what I am saying is this. God is our provider. And if all of that goes away, He's still my provider. If I lose every cent I have, He's my provider. I need to worry about the work of God. I need to worry about the, the ministry that He has given me. That's what I need to focus on. That's what you need to focus on. Not the job. Not the money, not the finances. They will take care of themselves. If we will put His business first. He is commissioning the twelve disciples and He tells them this. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. God's going to provide for you. If you do His work, you do His business. God is no man's debtor, church. Whatever you give to Him, <laughs> He's not going to be beholden to anyone. He'll give it back multiplied. <clears throat> okay, it goes on. Now let's talk about, let's go to verse 14. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let me explain your position here for just a moment. 
Let me explain the awesome responsibility that each and every one of us have. We are what stands between God and this city. We are what stands between God and your loved ones. We are what stands between God and the judgment of this world. You and I, we stand in between. We stand in the gap. And if they will not hear you, they have no hope at all. If they hear anything else, it doesn't matter. They still have no hope at all. This is the only hope anyone has. This is the only hope you had. The only hope I had. God isn't going to go tell him directly. He told you. He told me through someone. Now he wants us to go and tell someone else. There's a better way. God created you for more than this. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege. Is to tell people this good news. And if they will not hear this good news from your lips, judgment's coming. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city or for that person. That's quite the weight on our shoulders. But that's the commission that God is giving us. Now God's going to work with us. He's our partner in this. He's got the bulk of the work. But we still have to go. And we still have to preach. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Did you hear that? There's a reason for it. There's a reason for everything that happens to you. God hasn't forsaken you. In the midst of the hardest test or trial. God hasn't left you to your own devices. He certainly hasn't left you to the enemy's devices. You're there for a reason. In this particular reason. So that you can stand for a testimony against them. So that you can preach the gospel to them. So that you can warn them of the coming judgment. Judgment is most certainly coming. We're worried about everything it is we worry about. Washing the dishes, preparing supper, getting the kids off to school, paying the bills. Just day-to-day stuff. 
stuff that we need to worry about, that we need to take care of. But in the midst of that, we are in the end times. God is coming back. And I know we've heard this our whole lives. I know that. But look at, look at out there. Look at the present day that we live in. These are the end times. And the closer we get to that, the more impetus is on us to act. To act as the children of God. To act as the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To act as His ambassador to this world. There's no one else to do it. And there's no more time left in which to do it. This is it. I believe that with all my heart. This is it. I don't know if there'll be another generation or not. It could still tarry maybe another 50 years. I don't know. It could come back tonight. Other than preaching the Gospel to the whole world, to every creature, I don't know if there's any prophecies left to fulfill. We need to start focusing on other things now. We need to start considering the spiritual more than we have. The spiritual oftentimes spills over into the the secular, the natural. We see it in our world. All of that's going on in in the natural. That's because of what's been going on in the spiritual. Or in some cases, what hasn't been going on in the spiritual. We are content to bask in the blessings of God. We are content that we are filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. We have truth. We do have truth. And we ought to be so very thankful for the privilege of being a child of God. But apart from that, we are no better than anybody out there. We're not. We need to start operating in the Spirit. Operating spiritually. Verse 19. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Thank God for that. Be instant in season and out. Walk close to Jesus Christ. Receive from Him. And in that day and in that hour, when you're called to speak, He'll speak through you. Some of you already know what that's like. You're talking to someone and all of a sudden things just start coming out. No idea where it came from. And that's exactly what that person needed to hear right then. 
It's a beautiful, awesome experience when God uses you like that. But God will speak through you. When you're called to stand before governors and kings, as a testimony against them, God will minister through you. I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm kind of timid. There's no way I could speak intelligently in front of someone like that. Oh, yes, you will. Because you're going to get a holy boldness, and the Spirit of God's going to come all over you, and God's going to use you to speak to that person. Don't you worry about a thing. He goes on to say this, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. What an awesome promise that one is. Wow, praise the Lord. This gets back a little bit to what I touched on on Sunday. We've got to get it in our minds that living spiritually is living violently. There will be violence conducted against us and there will be violence that we perpetrate against the enemy. This is war. And as always, not against people. Against spirits. People are not the, the problem. They seem like it. They're the ones we see. They're the ones we hear. But people are not the problem. They're pawns. They don't know any better. They can't do anything else. They're in bondage. They have to do what they're told. Almost certainly they don't have a choice. That's what it means to be in bondage. Their master is Satan, just like yours used to be. But now we are delivered. We have been set free. Our master is Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. But there's still a yoke. And there's still a burden. That's not who we're fighting against. We're fighting against Satan. We're fighting against the kingdom of darkness. And there's going to be violence, church. Don't be surprised when it comes to your doorstep. Don't be surprised when all hell starts breaking loose in, in the middle of your family. Don't be too shocked about it. That's what war is. My suggestion is to send a little bit back their way. It's okay to be offensive. We don't have to wait to react to what the enemy does. We can go into his territory and wreak a little havoc ourselves. You're going to get comfortable listening to this. I promise you that. This is violence, church. There will be violence against you, spiritually and maybe physically. Our brothers and sisters overseas 
They're experiencing physical violence against their, their families, against their person. They're going to prison. They're being tortured. They're being killed because they profess Jesus Christ. They're not worried about being made fun of. They're not worried about being laughed at or ridiculed at school or at the workplace. They would to God. That's all they had to endure. (laughs) When I first got into church... said this before i'm introverted and that was the scariest thing in the world for me is to tell someone what i experienced and they reject it i couldn't stand the thought of it i finally got worked up i got courage and i i talked to someone and that exact thing that i i was talking about happened to me i started getting bold and i Words started coming out. <laughs> but I think they came out a little too forcefully. And I just regurgitated everything I knew and everything that I'd heard and everything that I'd have experienced up to this point. And I scared the poor guy to death. And I never saw him again. <clears throat> he had to go. <laughs> Mom was calling something. I never saw him. He was a good friend of mine. I haven't seen him since. But the things that God is going to be asking of us, whatever they are or aren't, we need to be willing. We need to be willing to put that on the line. I need to be willing to put my life on the line. Can I put my family on the line? I'd better be able to. And I know how that sounds to someone who isn't spiritually minded. But that's harder for me than putting my life on the line. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. The disciple... The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? What they did to Jesus, we can expect the same treatment. The world hates him. You understand that. The world hates him. Jesus Christ. And some of us are just trying to get as close to that as we possibly can and still be in church. I don't think here, but in in the United States, our churches. I hope not here. Trying to just get as close as we can to the world, enjoy everything we can from the world, but still, still make it into heaven. Why would we want anything to do with the world? Why are we seeking to please something or someone who hates God's guts? Why are we worried about the opinions of someone that hates God? 
We ought not be worried about what they think about us. The only opinion that matters, church, is what Jesus thinks of us. What does Jesus think of what you're doing? What does Jesus think of who you are? That's all that matters. That's the only thing that will ever matter. The entire world can hate you. And it does. I don't care how nice they sound. I don't care what kind of gloss they put on their statements or or philosophies. They hate you because of who you stand for, who you represent. They're going to continue to hate you no matter what you do to appease them. So stop trying. Stop trying to appease the world. It will not be appeased. Satan will not be appeased by anything you do. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We touched on that. I'll move on. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. (laughs) No comments. (laughs) Some of us want to make it easy on Jesus. That's right. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God loves you. The thoughts and intents of His heart are toward you continually. He created you with love and with purpose. He died on a cross for you because He loved you and had compassion on you. Everything that He does from the the time He fashioned you to this present moment is because He loves you desperately so very much. We'll never understand or comprehend how much He loves us. we were able to experience that kind of love, it would destroy us. It would kill us. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is the verse that I had intended to use originally. 
Jesus has not come to send peace, but a sword. Jesus Christ is probably one of the most divisive individuals that has ever lived. He is a very polarizing individual. You love him and you serve him with your life, or you hate him and want to see him destroyed. Donald Trump is a little bit like that. He's also a very polarizing figure. Whatever you think about him, pro or con, you either love him or you hate him. I don't know of anybody that's, eh, yeah, he's, uh, uh, okay. I don't know of anybody that feels that way about him. They're either all in or they're all out. And that's Jesus. Jesus is exactly that. I'm talking about the Jesus we find in Scripture. Not the long-haired sissy that we find plastered on, on, on Bibles. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one we find in Scripture. That's the one I'm talking about. He's divisive. He is. He had a big following once. And then he started preaching for real. And everyone's like, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And they walked away. They all walked away. Except the twelve. They didn't have anywhere else to go. In our own lives, when I first came to the Lord, Jesus was the most awesome thing in the world. He was so perfect in every way. Everything I prayed for, I mean, everything I'd read in Scripture, everything just started falling into place. I started paying my tithes and offerings. I started getting blessed. I started coming to church regularly. I started getting blessed. I started praying regularly. I started getting blessed. And then that fateful day came when I realized that living for Jesus isn't all peaches and cream. It isn't a little slice of heaven here on earth waiting for me to get up to glory. Bad things still happen. Sometimes, specifically because I'm a Christian. Sometimes, God purposefully removes His presence from me for a season. That's exactly right. I can't feel God. I can't feel Him anymore. What did I do? What have I done? The first time that happened, that scared me to death. I can't feel him anymore. I felt him so close, so powerfully. I just, I'd step into the prayer room and it was right there. I'd step into service and it's like diving into the pool. It's all over. Now I worship and I can't feel anything. I pray. I can't feel anything. Yeah. Why am I serving Jesus? Why am I praying? Why am I worshiping? Is it for the feeling? 
Is it for that fix? I'm just, I'm just jonesing to get in the presence of God again. I love the presence of God. We ought to spend as much time there as possible. But that's not why we serve Him. That's not why we pray. That's not why we worship. And now I'm thankful for those seasons when He steps back a little bit. Because now I can demonstrate He's been so good to me. He's been so merciful to me. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep fasting. I'm going to keep worshiping. I don't care if I feel you or not. I know you're still there. You said you were. You're right here. You haven't gone anywhere. You're still right here. And it doesn't matter what happens. It ought not matter what happens. This Jesus that we find in Scripture, you're either all in or you're all out. The world is all out. We ought to be all in. Those straddling the fence, that's a wearying place to be. You're not going to last long on the fence, I promise you that. I tried it a time or two. You won't last long. You're going to slip one way or the other. Get in the church. Get as close to Jesus Christ as you possibly can. Confess Him with every fiber of your being. Confess Him to Satan. Confess Him to your family, the world, whoever's listening. Confess Jesus Christ publicly. Confess Him with your lips. Confess Him with your lifestyle. Confess Him with the way you dress. Confess Him with your actions. With every fiber of your being, you confess Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, to the extent that you don't, is the extent that Jesus Christ will not confess you. Violence is coming. And we ought not be too precious with our lifestyles. We ought not be too precious with our very lives. I'm telling you. As clear as I can feel it in the Spirit, as clear as I understand it, violence is coming. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. Not necessarily physically, but certainly spiritually. Uh, Probably physically too. Don't be surprised when it comes. Don't be shocked and and flattened and out of the fight for a month trying to reel and, and, and get back on your feet. I'm telling you now, it's coming. Get ready for it. Be prepared for it. It's all right. It's all right that that's coming. We're going to give it right back, spiritually. We weren't issued a sword and armor because we're going to have peace with our enemy. 
the armor and the sword and the shield are instruments of war. The sword is used to demonstrate violence against your enemy. The armor is used to absorb violence from your enemy. This isn't one of those Christian fellowship games where nobody wants to steal the gift, Sister Bell. Oh, no, no, no. I can't do that to you. No. You most certainly can. You most certainly can. <clears throat> the first century church understood this. You know, our, our society is very sheltered. It's very insulated from violence. It's very insulated from war. We see something on the news, and we get shocked from that. The first century church, this was, this was a day at the office for them. I, it wasn't pleasant, any more pleasant for them than it would be for us. But they were inured to that. They were used to that. It was a violent period of history. Today we are so sheltered from it. We see it, we hear about it, and it shocks us to our core. We need to get comfortable with it. We need to lose this American mentality, this first world mentality. The church is here for me. Jesus stands by to minister to all my needs. I'm saying this a little flippantly. It's true. The church is here for us. Jesus is here to minister to our needs. But we get to the place where that's all that matters to us. And there are some people in our churches that just aren't spiritual enough to last from service to service without Satan beating them half to death. They come dragging and crawling their way into the church on Wednesday. They prayed through on Sunday, good to go, but by Wednesday, they're half dead. They need another service to pick them up and get them nursed back to health, and okay, okay, I'm good. And then Sunday comes around and they're half dead again. Folks, if we can't make it a few days between services... Attend all the services. But this isn't all you need. You need a daily walk with God. You need daily devotions. If this is all you're getting, you're not going to make it. I don't know how you can make it if this is all you're getting. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We need our own relationship with Jesus Christ.
These are the end times. We just don't have a lot of time to play around anymore. I wish we did. I wish I believed that we did. I don't think we do. We're going to plan as if he's not coming back in our lifetime. But we need to live like he's coming back today. And I think that's closer to the truth than the former. When he does, we want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to have left it all on the field of battle. I don't want to get up to heaven and think of all the things I should have done, the things I could have done, but didn't, things I could have risked. Let's leave it all on the field of battle. When Jesus comes again, He's coming back for His church. Everybody that needs to be here isn't. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the body of Christ. As an aside, the time's coming where we may not be able to meet in a building. Let's learn to be a little flexible. Church in China, they don't meet in a church building. Soviet Russia, they didn't have church bells bringing them in on Sunday morning. They had the sewer drain in the gulag to bring them into. One last thing I'm going to say before we close is this. I love living for Jesus Christ. I love His blessings. I love His presence. I love everything about it. But something, sometimes I forget something. How serious this is. How absolutely serious this is. If I make the wrong choices, if I don't follow Jesus Christ, if I don't follow after Him, if I start trying to do things my way, if I don't stay submitted and broken, Sister Rudy, I'm in danger of losing all of it. And that lasts forever. Preachers say that, and that's so hard for us to grasp eternity, to understand what exactly that means to be burning forever. <clears throat> to be in absolute bliss forever. But forever is coming for everybody. It's coming. This life here is nothing except a period for us to qualify for eternity. That's all this is. What are we qualifying for? We need to remember that this is serious, not just for us, but for every single person out there. Eternity is coming for everybody. Maybe tonight, 
maybe 50 years, maybe when Jesus comes. But it's coming. That's an absolute certainty. Are we ready? Will they be ready? Jesus gave us the instructions on how to reach this world, how to evangelize, how to go out into the harvest and reap for Jesus Christ. And we get the green light. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. Until then, we're going to be praying and fasting, preparing, getting ready, getting to this place when we do go out, that we reap that harvest, that great and bountiful harvest that is already ready. They're ready. We're not. But we will be. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, what an awesome God you are. What a wondrous Savior we serve. Thank you so very much for your so great salvation, your daily blessings. Thank you for everything that we receive of you. Help us, I pray. Help us, I pray, to do things according to your will, to conduct your business, kingdom business, according to your design, according to your will, according to your plans. We have ideas, we have thoughts, we have uh, teaching as to how things ought to be, how business should be conducted. I defer that to you. I defer all of that to you. This is your church. It's not ours. Your church. You're the head. You're God. Lead us, I pray, into this wondrous future that you have planned for us. Maybe not wondrous physically, but certainly wondrously spiritually. It is an awesome future that you have in store for us. We have revival to look forward to. Hallelujah, Jesus. Use each and every one of us, I pray, according to your grand design, according to your perfect will. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. You're dismissed.